are listening to Grace and Mercy Podcast. This podcast is for people who want to know the grace of God and how it changes the way we interact with the world. I'm your host, author Darlene Bojack, and in this episode, we are going to find out what Acts has to say about grace. All right, it is a windy day. I've got two little pooches with me, so I'll, I'll add this as a little Easter egg. If you hear their little toenails click clicking across the ground or um, shifting and sighing near the microphone, you'll know that those are my dog sounds, or you might hear lots of wind uh, blowing in the background. So those are the little Easter eggs that will be in this show. I got a wonderful email from a listener today, and I was just so uh, blessed by the things that she said. So I wanted to share our, um, our message from that listener. Thank you, Becky. She said, I was so touched by Wednesday's podcast on John. Kendra's comments made my heart leap because I could relate to her thought process. And what you shared about the cost in relation to free grace for us opened my understanding as well. The Lord is using you and blessing your word study. And she shared that she they are talking about the podcast in their Bible study on Luke. So we are now on Acts, Acts of the Apostles. And what do we know about Acts? Acts was written by Luke, so I'm expecting to find a similar feel for the uh, worldwide expansion of grace that Luke talked about. And I'm expecting that there's going to be a high theology on grace because he's hanging out with Paul, who really gets grace. So I'm looking forward to what we discover together. I sort of peeked at some of the verses, but um, have not studied them. That's what I do together with you on this podcast. Becky also shared a quote from J.C. Ryle titled, Occupy Till I Come, and that's about Luke as well. I wanted to share that with you. This is the way to do good to the children of the world. Nothing under God has such an effect on unconverted people as the sight of a real, thoroughgoing, live Christian. There are thousands who will not come to hear the gospel and do not know the meaning of justification by faith, who yet can understand an uncompromising, holy, consistent walk with God. Occupy, occupy, I say again, if you want to do good. So living, we shall find great joy in our work, great comfort in our trials, great doors of usefulness in the world, great consolation in our sickness, great hope in our death, leave great evidence behind us when we are buried, have great confidence in Christ's return, and receive a great crown in the day of reward you want to do good. I have goosebumps just reading that. And here we are about to enter the book of Acts. The book of Acts is, is the introduction to putting it all into practice. Everything from the Old Testament that the Jews had learned, everything that Christ had taught them, Christ himself, his life, his death, his resurrection, his promise, his promises, um, he's returning, the, the hope we get from that, the peace we get with God because of his crucifixion, 
All of these things are now being put into effect. And we see the church just stretch its wings and start to fly and then turn into this great big um, bird. Or you could say that great big stone that turned into a mountain that Daniel talked about. Or the great big tree that came from a mustard seed where all of the birds rested in its branches. All of the signs of growth that God promised in the uh, Old Testament and in Christ's words, we see it happening here in the book of Acts. So I'm looking forward to seeing what it is that Luke will teach us today about grace. Okay, we have many examples of charis in the book of of Luke. So we're going to go through each of those. Did I say the book of Luke? I mean, in the book of Acts by Luke. <laughs> so it is the book of Luke, is it not? So we have many examples of the, the word charis here in, in the book of Acts. Let's look at those one by one. First place we see it is in Acts 2.47. This is what it says, starting at verse 46. And they, continuing daily with one accord in the temple and breaking bread from house to house, did eat their meat with gladness and signalness of heart, praising God and having favor with all the people. And the Lord added to the church daily such as should be saved. So in this case, it's the same favor, isn't it, that God showed upon the, the Israelites when they left Egypt. And he's having... Uh, he's starting the church. This is Acts 2, you know, where Pentecost has just come and they're meeting together. And he has, um, he has favor. You know, this is a very uh, fascinating kind of use of grace. God's use, practical use of grace. So Christ is, is the embodiment of grace, right? And he has put his Holy Spirit into us. And now we are, um, we are the temple. In our Bible study this morning, our family Bible study this morning, we're studying John. Um, it's a study, the book of John by core Christianity. But in the book of John, they talked about what most of us know, that the, the, the Christ tabernacled among us. It says he pitched his tent with us, right? And so in the Old Testament... First of all, the tent of meeting where Moses was before the tabernacle was built was outside the camp. And then the tabernacle was built and it was inside the camp. So instead of going out of the camp to meet with God, it was right in the midst of them. So God was essentially dwelling with them. He had the Ark of the Covenant there in the midst of them. But um, it wasn't it wasn't the final uh, God with us. Now, when they were exiled, of course, the, the temple was built as well. And it was David's idea to build a temple. And God says, okay. So he did have it built of stone. It was not, uh, it was not God's, uh, obviously God as a sovereign God wanted to have a temple there. But it was man's idea because God is pitching his tent and this world is a temporary place. So it makes more sense to have it be a tabernacle. And then uh, when Israel gets that big consequence where they're kicked out of Israel, you know, they are exiled into Babylon. 
then Ezekiel sees the Holy Spirit leave um, and go eastward with his people into um, exile. So the Spirit of God departs from the temple. There's a huge scene in in the book of Ezekiel about God departing. He's with his people. You know, it's not like, go away from me. He's He had made this promise. You know, remember that Moses wrestled with him about these. These are your people. Why are you making me? I'm going to die. Just kill me if this is how you show favor. You remember that from, um, from the, I think that was the book of Numbers. And so here God goes into exile with his people because he did promise he was going to be with them. But as we are reading in our Bible study this morning, the presence of God being, um, in their camp or going before them and things was much different than we see here in Acts 2. Okay, Jesus came to the temple. Um, Jesus came and was grace itself. And, and he, uh, he was tabernacling with his people. Zacchaeus, he says, Zacchaeus, I'm going to your home. You know, I'm going into your house. Not only was he a tabernacling, you know, hanging out that uh, they they shared in that um, in that study that that in the Message Bible, um, Eugene Peterson translates it as uh, Jesus um, took on flesh and blood and moved into the neighborhood. So when he saw Zacchaeus, he goes and says, "Zacchaeus, I'm going to your house." I mean, what does that mean? It means the tabernacle. You know, the tabernacle is going into the house now. Right, and so then, uh, then you have um, Jesus, who there the the Pharisees are making a big deal about the the stones of the temple, and Jesus says, "Destroy this temple, I'll build it in three days." And he's, I'm sure, he's tapping his chest because he's talking about his body, and the the scriptures say he was talking about his body, and his disciples figured that out afterwards because he was talking about his body was the temple, right? And so his body is the temple. The temple in the middle of Jerusalem was just like a shadow still. It was a shadow of him. He, his shadow is that temple. And he says, it's all been about God with us, which is me. Okay, so then here at Pentecost, and this is what the, the, um, the study was also saying, that at Pentecost, the Holy Spirit goes into our hearts. Now, that's very different from what you see in the in the old testament you know this is i will put my spirit in you is one of the prophecies about the new covenant and so he puts his spirit into the people this is like even more deeper into us not just being in the neighborhood but being inside of us and jesus had said you remember he said unless i go away the holy spirit won't come and the um that is what's going on here is that he's not just with them next to them even eating bread with them he is in them and so now we as corinthians says we are the temple of god you see we are the body of christ we are the temple of god we carry christ with us from door to door we carry it with us when we go to our neighbor uh, like this uh, jc ryle quote was talking about we are carrying that that Holy Spirit with us. They can't but um, be impacted. Uh, I was meeting with a friend a couple of days ago, and I was saying that she was she was a she's a 
secular Muslim? And she was saying, well, the religions are all the same. And I said, no, in Christianity, we have God with us. And she did not understand that. She's like, well, Allah is with us too. We believe that Allah is with us all the time. And I was just, um, you know, she just doesn't see the, the light of the gospel. She just sees that it's the same, the same religion. So back to Acts 2. Here they are with the Spirit in them, and how do they act? Continuing daily in one accord, uh, they're breaking bread from house to house, eating their meat with gladness and singleness of heart, praising God and having favor with all the people. So at this point, the Holy Spirit coming out of their life is this totally brand new thing that the people of Jerusalem have never seen before, and they're drawn to it, right? They're drawn to the Spirit that's in them. They have favor. At this point, they have favor with the people. And ultimately, in the world, Christians as people who who carry Christ with them, who, who live in a, a godly way, like J.C. Ryle was um, quoted as saying, that is the kind of people everybody wants to have around them. Okay, then, then truth comes, and like Kendra said, grace and truth, and sometimes truth hurts. And then they say, I don't like you around me because you make me hurt. Okay, so we have that first one, which was Acts 2.47. Okay, now we're moving to Acts 4.33. Acts 4.33 it, this is like almost a continuation of the uh, what the disciples are doing when um, when they are kind of excluded from the people. It says, and with great power gave the apostles witness of the resurrection of the Lord Jesus, and great grace was upon them all. Um, this is a King James version. Great grace was upon them all, and actually. Um, Many of the translations call it great grace was upon them all. So why would they use great grace was upon them and not favor upon them? I think the difference is that they use the word favor when it has to do with a man and they use the word grace when it has to do with God. So let's think for a second about what does it mean to have God's favor, the unmerited favor of God, which is the... I've heard that my whole life, unmerited favor of God, unmerited, but what really, what are, we, what are we talking about here? Unmerited favor is, the unmerited favor is the, we don't cause it from who we are. We're so special that God has to, you know, like it's that we are, we are his. We don't, we don't cause the favor. You see? And, and um, that means we are the recipients. We sometimes ask for favor, and we see that in Genesis and Exodus, asking for favor. But in the case of God's grace upon them all, the grace of God is the like protective um, personalization of our fate in a sense whatever happens to us he takes a personal interest in in that and makes it for our good 
Don't we have that, that verse in Romans? All things work together for good to those who love God and are called according to his purpose. Is that grace? Yes, I think that is. Because it has to do with, it's going to go well with you. It's going to go well with you. Because we are God's elect. We are God's people. I, I wanted to mention, this is going back into our verse of Deuteronomy 24. Now, you've rem- if you remember, I only read verse 1, and then I said something to the effect, of, and then it goes on to explain about the wife. Well, what we need to see is what it says about the wife, because that is a huge part of what the message is in Deuteronomy. When a man takes a wife and marries her, if then she finds no favor in his eyes because he has found some indecency in her and he writes her a certificate of divorce and puts it in her hand and sends her out of his house and she departs out of his house and if she goes and becomes another man's wife and the latter man hates her and writes her a certificate of divorce and puts it in her hand and sends her out of his house or if the latter man dies who took her to be his wife, then her former husband who sent her away may not take her again to be his wife after she has been defiled, for that is an abomination before the Lord. And you shall not bring sin upon the land that the Lord your God has given you for an inheritance. Okay, and what did we say that this is in relation to? We said, we're working on the principle that God does not waste words and that he purposefully he purposefully chooses where to put the word grace in the bible and if we find the word grace we should tune our ears to what's being said and i think the greatest evidence of this is in hosea 2 okay i'm going to start hosea 2 verse 7 she shall pursue her lovers but not overtake them and she shall seek them but shall not find them then she shall say I will go and return to my first husband, for it was better for me then than now. And she did not know that it was I who gave her the grain, the wine, and the oil, and who lavished on her silver and gold, which they used for Baal. Therefore I will take back my grain in its time, and my wine in its season, and I will take away my wool and my flax, which were to cover her nakedness, Now I will uncover her lewdness in the sight of her lovers, and no one shall rescue her out of my hand. I will put an end to all her mirth, her feasts, her new moons, her sabbaths, and all her appointed feasts. And I will lay waste her vines and her fig trees, of which she said, These are my wages which my lovers have given me. I will make them a forest, and the beasts of the field shall devour them. And I will punish her for the feast days of the Baals, when she burned offerings to them and adorned herself with ring and jewelry and went after her lovers and forgot me, declares the Lord. Therefore, behold, I will allure her and bring her into the wilderness and speak tenderly to her. And there I will give her vineyards and make the valley of Accor a door of hope. And there she shall answer as in the days of her youth, as at the time when she came out of the land of Egypt. And in that day, declares the Lord, you will call me my husband, and no longer will you call me my Baal. For I will remove the names of the Baals from her mouth, and they shall be remembered by name no more. And I will make for them a covenant on the day with the beasts of the field, the birds of the heavens, and the creeping things of the ground. 
and I will abolish the bow, the sword, and war from the land, and I will make you lie down in safety. And I will betroth you to me forever. I will betroth you to me in righteousness and justice, in steadfast love and mercy. I will betroth you to me in faithfulness, and you shall know the Lord. And in that day I will answer, declares the Lord. I will answer the heavens, and they shall answer the earth. And the earth shall answer the grain, and the wine, and the oil. And they shall answer Jezreel. And I will sow her for myself in the land. And I will have mercy on no mercy. And I will say to not my people, you are my people. And he shall say, you are my God. So do you notice that this is exactly that verse 2 of Deuteronomy 24.2 when she says that she wants to go back to her first husband? And do you remember that it says it's an abomination that she goes back there? And it's an abomination But what does God still do? He brings her back. He brings brings her back. Like, it's an abomination. She's gone and gotten joy from all the idols in the land. She's betrayed him. She has a... Talk about lewdness, right? She's, She's living in adultery. When you talk about it in terms of the church or the people of God, living in adultery, loving this world, finding joy in this world, that ironic joy. And he, and they, they come back and he takes them back. It's an abomination to go back after you've betrayed him, but he takes her back. You know, you probably know people who've been divorced and marry somebody else and then doesn't go well and then they want to, marry their first husband again, or they wish they had never divorced. And and then there's this verse that says not to take them back. Or maybe they've cheated on their spouse. And their spouse has to, has to deal with, what like, can I forgive this? Can, is this the kind of thing that I can forgive and stay married? Or is this the kind of thing that I can forgive but have to separate myself from them? I mean, the the betrayal continually of the marriage bed, you know, the the recovery that needs to come from such a thing. It, it is an abomination. It's it's almost too much to ask from a spouse to forgive adultery, or especially if they've already, if they've been divorced, bringing them back. It, it's it feels weird for us to see it happen too. Because we know this verse where it says it's an abomination. But you know, that's what God did. Like, that's favor. You know, it's because of what's in him. He, he's the stair. And, and we did say that verse in Second Timothy 2.13. If we are faithless, he remains faithful. For he cannot deny himself. You see, this is... This is what we see when it's God's grace on them, his favor. It's not from us. You know, honestly, as much as I love the Lord, I, I'm not as faithful as I should be. I, I'm not remembering at those moments when I get angry about this or that not going the way I want. I'm not remembering him and like Jesus would remember 
God and continually be aware of God's holiness. And even in his anger, he did not sin. You know, that's not me. I quickly forget that I'm supposed to be patient with people. I quickly quickly forget that I'm supposed to be loving and kind and and I just want what I want and I grab for it and I get mad or I I do what I slam the door <laughs> confession time you know when I don't get when I don't get my way I'm not acting in God's stead I'm acting for myself but it's not me that makes him faithful because even though I love him with my whole heart, my heart itself is bound to this world. This is a song I love. This world is nothing for me, and this world is everything. It's the battle for the battle for our hearts to really let go of the things of this world. But when he has favor, it's not because of what's in us, which means that we really can turn back to him even if we are in sin we can turn as long as we have breath in our lungs we can turn back to him and he shall surely pardon okay we have acts 6 8 and stephen full of grace and power was performing great wonders and signs among the people so here he is he's carrying god's grace to the world Acts 7, 10, and delivered him. Okay, the patriarchs moved with envy, sold Joseph into Egypt, but God was with him and delivered him out of all his affliction and gave him favor and wisdom in the sight of Pharaoh, king of Egypt. And he made him governor over Egypt and all his house. We see the sovereign hand of God in the lives of his people even when they go into exile, even when they go to into slavery, he's got his hand about and before all around Joseph. He has his plan for Joseph's life. And Joseph himself may see himself in the state of slavery, but it has not changed his relationship with God. He is still safe in God's hand. Okay, Acts seven forty six. Uh, this is when Stephen is recounting the the story of the Bible. He says in verse 40, starting at verse 44, Our fathers had the tent of witness in the wilderness, just as he who spoke to Moses directed him to make it according to the pattern that he had seen. Our fathers in turn brought it in with Joshua when they dispossessed the nations that God drove out before our fathers. So it was until the days of David, who found favor in the sight of God, and asked to find a dwelling place for the God of Jacob. So this is referring to David who found favor in the sight of God. 1123, church at Antioch. Then when he arrived and witnessed the grace of God, he rejoiced and began to encourage them all with resolute heart to remain true to the Lord, for he was a good man and full of the Holy Spirit and of faith. All right, who is he talking about? He's talking about Barnabas. Witness the grace of God, he rejoiced. There you go. That's what we said last time with regard to the book of John, didn't we? That grace's direct result is joy. Rejoicing comes from grace. It comes from delighting in grace. 
And joy should not come from this world. It should come from delighting in grace. Don't you see, if God's got his hand on us, what can this world give us for joy? Acts 13, 43. This is Paul and Barnabas are on their first missionary journey. Now, when the meeting of the synagogue had broken up, many of the Jews and of the God-fearing proselytes followed Paul and Barnabas, who, speaking to them, were urging them to continue in the grace of God. So, how do we continue in the grace of God? You know, you remember how God was with the Israelites as they exited from Egypt, and he was a a pillar of cloud by day and a fire by night, right? And they they followed him. Well, imagine a little bit broader. Um, the Holy Spirit reflects himself often in the with the image of that fire or the cloud. Now, instead of it going before them and behind them, protecting them from their enemies behind, going before to lead, instead of it imagining it there, recognize that we are in the cloud. We are in the fire. And so we are in the grace of God. You see, we are in it. We are like securely in it. And verse 26, right after that. From there they sailed to Antioch, from which they had been commended to the grace of God for the work they had to accomplish. So they were commended to the grace of God. So when when somebody, when these people uh, from which they were coming from, Perga and from the believers in Natalia, they're going to Antioch and they're commended to the grace of God. You see, their people are praying for them and entrusting them into that pillar of fire, into that cloud, into the glory cloud, right? Into the hand of God because he's protecting them, just like he protected Joseph wherever Joseph went. Okay, we have 1511, the council at Jerusalem. But we believe that we are saved through the grace of the Lord Jesus in the same way as they also are. Okay, this is when they're discussing uh, the difference between Gentile and Jewish believers. And he says, um, uh, Paul is saying, we believe we are saved through the grace of the Lord Jesus. Through the grace of the Lord Jesus. See, it's by grace we're saved. We get into that cloud. We're, by grace we're saved through faith. Verse 40. But Paul chose Silas and left for his second missionary journey. But Paul chose Silas and left, being committed by the brethren to the grace of the Lord. All right? So make this a part of your life. Like when you pray for someone, entrust them to the grace of God. Because that's the safest place to be. We, entrust, we, we trust you, God, that you have him in your hands. We maybe do already pray this, right? If somebody is sick, we entrust them into the grace of God, into the favor of God. Because we know how we are with our, our children, you know, how we care for them and are compassionate and, and guiding them and caring about their future and giving, because loving means giving. And this grace is directly related to giving, to leaning in toward. 1827, the third missionary journey. And when he wanted to go across to Achaia, the brethren encouraged him and wrote to the disciples to welcome him. 
And when he had arrived, he greatly helped those who had believed through grace. All right. So in in um, Reformed circles, we talk about irresistible grace. But let's um, separate that from the word irresistible for a minute. We believe um, through grace, right? Grace is, it says, believed through grace. Those who had believed through grace. So when a, when a heart sees the grace of God, when they really understand the grace of God, they're going to cling to it when they really understand the grace of God, right? It's just like the disciples entrusted someone to the grace when somebody understands the grace of God. It, it becomes irresistible because it's so great. It's not like, it's not saying it's a super heavy duty, powerful, I'm going to force you to do what I want you to do. It's, whoa, really? That's what grace is? That's what we're learning. That's what grace is. It's being in the favor of God. Acts 20, 24. Uh, farewell at Ephesus. Uh, but I do not consider my life of any account as dear to myself, so that I may finish my course and the ministry which I received from the Lord Jesus to testify solemnly to the gospel of the grace of God. The gospel of the grace of God. Is it good news that we can be found in the favor of God? That we can be in that safe place of God's favor? Is it good news that we can be um, that we can be in the cloud, in the fire, we can be in the holy of holies, we can approach the throne of God boldly. Is that good news? The safety there, the safety there, that is good news. The grace of God is the good news. And as we said, Jesus is the grace of God. 32, and now I commend you to God and to, that's my dog scratching herself. And now I commend you to God and to the word of his grace, which is able to build you and to give you the inheritance among all those who are sanctified. Whoa, that is a deep verse. Take a look at Acts 20, 32. I commend you to God and to the word of his grace, which is able to build you up and give you the inheritance among those who are sanctified. We could, we could spend an entire episode on this, on what this verse means. But what I see in here is that the word of his grace, okay, so he has this grace, which is his protective um, ownership of, of our situ- situation. And there's this word of his grace that builds us up and gives us the promises, right? He promised that he would bring us to sanctification. And our inheritance is not just heaven. Our inheritance is that sanctification. We will get Christ's righteousness, he considers that ours, but we will get that righteousness. And forever we will be like our Christ. Two more times that we see the word in the book of Acts. Acts 25, verse 3, starting at verse 2. And the chief priests and the leading men of the Jews brought charges against Paul, and they were urging him, requesting a concession against Paul, 
that he might have him brought to Jerusalem at the same time, setting an ambush to kill him on the way. Okay, Acts twenty four twenty seven. But after two years had passed, Felix was succeeded by Portius Festus, and wishing to do the Jews a favor, Felix left Paul imprisoned. Okay, I'm going to borrow this word from this situation and remind you that the power of Portius Festus, power of Felix, to bring about the fate of Paul is a teeny, teeny, tiny shadow of the kind of power God has to make things go the way uh, that will be good for us and the way that will be good for the kingdom of God. Uh, Next chapter is Acts 25. We have two verses there, 25 verse 3. Requesting a concession against Paul that he might have him brought to Jerusalem, at the same time setting an ambush to kill him on the way. Where is that word? It is a concession concession against him, a favor against him. Okay, this is the word grace in used when it's when it's against you. So um, ultimately, any favor that's in our favor is against someone else, technically. And we have verse 9 that says, But Festus, wishing to do the Jews a favor, answered Paul and saying, and said, Are you willing to go up to Jerusalem and stand trial before me on these charges? So, wishing to do the Jews a favor. Uh, Why would Festus want to do the Jews a favor? Honestly, not the same way that God does. He he doesn't do us a favor. In a sense, this is manipulative. It's the wrong use of the word grace. Because grace is unmerited. Um, Grace is unmerited favor. And they're using the same word charis here. So, they're using it for the, the... I guess you could say the common use is is um favor but the upgrade u- upgraded use is God's favor right common use I mean that Festus is trying to get things out of the Jews this is manipulative he wants something from them what does God want from us he's not doing us a favor he is showing favor and I think those are two vastly different things that is the last time that the word charis is used in the, in the book of Acts. So we will continue Acts uh, next time and look at the times that Kara and Cairo are mentioned in the book of Acts. Let's pray. Thank you, Lord, for teaching us through the book of Acts how to... Um, that you go before us and behind us, but even more so, we are in Christ. And being in Christ, we are in a very safe place, that the grace um, that we can be entrusted into your hands and that you are protecting us um, as you are our shield about us. And we, um, we recognize in this day and age of COVID where, where people are needing the shield from the dangers of the virus, that you are even more so protecting us from bigger dangers than, than that. You are protecting us. And just like the um, people were entrusted into the grace and who they grew in grace and they saw your grace, I pray that we would likewise be people of grace 
and confident and, and courageous because that grace is so protective um, of us and is in our favor because you shine your face on us and are gracious to us. We are very grateful and we thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for listening to Grace and Mercy Podcasts with author Darlene Bojek. This has been episode 11 of season one, Finding Grace. Our question of the week, how have someone's actions helped you understand grace? You can find the show notes for this episode, including links to things that we talked about at graceandmercypodcast.com. Also, I have a phone number on there that you can send me a WhatsApp text or a WhatsApp audio message if you'd like me to share it on the show. Make sure to answer any of the questions of the week on the show notes page. Tune in next time for the continuation of the book of Acts. Thank you for listening.